Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 135 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Romans chapter 1 today, and our focus is on how do you become a saint? So every day we read one chapter of the Bible and discuss it and break down how we can follow God's word. The whole goal of the show is to get you and I both involved in daily Bible reading and obeying. And I would invite you to check out our website, Bible2021.com, and to consider leaving us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because doing so gives us a way to reach more and more people and get them involved in daily Bible reading. So let's talk about sainthood. How do you become a saint? Now, as far as I can tell, there are three main types of saints in the Western world. Number three, I'll start with the last one, are the New Orleans variety of football saints. Alvin Kamara, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, etc. Now, we're not discussing that type of saint today, and we especially aren't discussing Michael Thomas because he tanked two of my fantasy football teams this year. I'm not bitter, though. If you want to be a New Orleans type of saint, well, you should be great at football and, I guess, be drafted by the Saints or get traded to the Saints. That one might be a little bit hard to achieve, but not as hard as hard to achieve as the second type of Saint. Because that type of Saint is the Roman Catholic flavor of Saint. And that may be, unfortunately the most famous kind of saint in the world. And I say unfortunately because the Roman Catholic theology of sainthood and canonization is so thoroughly unbiblical that it's genuinely frustrating. To be a Roman Catholic saint, generally speaking, and I say that generally because there's some exceptions, you must have been dead for five years. So if you start right now, uh, don't start right now, but if you did start right now, you're probably going to have to wait five years. You must also have lived a life of heroic virtue or perhaps died a martyr uh, or something closely related to that. And you must have two miracles attributed to you post-mortem. Now, post-mortem means after death, if you're curious. How a deceased person can perform a miracle is an interesting question all its own, but apparently the Roman Catholics believe that deceased and very virtuous Catholics can pray to God on your behalf and get miraculous things done. When that happens twice or once, because the Pope can waive the twice requirement, a dead Catholic is much on the way to sainthood. That Catholics view deceased people, particularly Mary, the mother of Jesus, as able to mediate with God on their behalf is really quite interesting, as there seems to be zero in Scripture that would suggest such a thing, and 1 Timothy 2.5 seems to outright contradict it when it says there is one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, not a bunch of other people, but that's not my biggest biblical problem with the Roman Catholic view of saints. My biggest problem with that view is found in our passage today, and actually dozens more passages as well, literally dozens. Consider Romans 1.7. Paul says, To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Well, Paul addresses his letter to the church in Rome, calling the very much alive Christians there at the time saints. And thus, 
brings us to our number one category of saints, the biblical category. So how is the word saint used in the Bible? Let's look at some examples, several in fact. Acts 9.13 says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Acts 9.32 says, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. Acts 26.10, I actually did this in Jerusalem, says Paul, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. That's Paul talking about his time before conversion. Romans 12.13, Paul says, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Romans 16.15 says, greet Philologus and Julia, Narius and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. 1 Corinthians 16.1. Now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. 2 Corinthians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Philippians 4.22, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Colossians 1.25, Paul says, I have become the servant of the gospel according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Jude 1.3 Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. Now, the above passages don't tell us exactly and precisely who the saints are, but apparently there's a ton of them, and uh, they're all alive, and it seems to be a fairly broad and general term, and several letters of the New Testament are addressed to these saints. At least two verses, however, do tell us precisely who the saints are. For instance, 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul says, To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. In other words, the members of the church at Corinth, All of them, sanctified in Christ Jesus, are called saints. How about Ephesians 4, 11 through 13? Paul writes, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So the saints are what Paul and other scripture writers refer to Christians as. If you are saved by Christ, you are a saint. In fact, followers of Jesus are twice called Christians in the New Testament, a handful of times referred to as disciples, but probably most often called saints over 60 times. You don't have to die to be a saint. You don't have to have miracles happen after your death when somebody prays to you in order to be a saint. And honestly, I hope nobody prays to you or me when we die because that's completely unbiblical and silly. And what are we, are we going to sit around in heaven listening to prayer requests and then turn around and ask God to answer them? 
I don't think so. You don't have to have lived a life of heroic virtue or be a martyr to be a saint. You are a saint if you are in Christ Jesus. Well, let's go read our passage. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called in his apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for though they know God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. 
Amen. A most hard-hitting passage. Let's ponder it and close with our Bible memory verse for the month of May, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen and amen. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.